Welcome to the snooze button. Hey, I'm Brittany of Brittany She and Sleep. I've got 99 problems, but my kid's sleeping isn't one. All right, friends, we are back with another awesome guest episode of the snooze button. So today I'm joined by Katie Eckelman, who is a literacy, I can't even say literacy, that's not good, a literacy expert and my childhood friend. So Katie, thank you for being here. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So fun. Um, okay, so I have like so many things I want to ask you about literacy, all that, but I, I think we need to lead with um, your your like background. So Katie has been in elementary education for 15 years, taught almost every elementary school grade. That's like amazing to me. And you're now in a role where you support teachers in elementary schools in their literacy education, K through five. Um, and Katie is also the mom of an adorable seven year old and is navigating the world of having a first grader. And I will say when I was thinking like, what is like my, when I think of you, what comes to mind first, other than you like horror movies and I don't, that sets us apart. But besides that, it is, I like, I think at the sixth grade dance it was either like your mom didn't want you to wear spaghetti strap tank tops, but like you did anyway or something. And I did too. And it was like very scandalous like that we had like a spaghetti strap t-shirt on. I think um, it was seventh grade volleyball. And I think that, I have that picture yes. somewhere. And I had cap sleeves. It was a velvet blue dress cap sleeves. That is hot. That is hot. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I stand by it today. I'm pretty sure I was wearing velvet blue too. I have one picture. You must not be in it because it, the reason the picture is so terrible is every single other girl is in black spaghetti strap, like slutty dress. And I'm in a short sleeve, long blue dress with a white full open and white tights and like weird double braids. It is, it was, I, I leaned into the choice and even now looking at it, it's horrifying. I don't so, know how we had friends, but we did somehow. Yes. So clearly somehow. the the moral of the story is that we need to dig up the photographic evidence of this for you. Yes. I think we need to have that included in my Instagram, um, sharing yes. all this. Um, and as you just said, it, there is something poetic that we are recording this on Taylor Swift's birthday. We're both big Swifties. Oh, there are so many things. So many things yes, are happening. It's perfect. Um, December 13th. Good day. <laughs> it's a great day. Um, but I want to like more let you take the floor because I will say I always ask questions on Instagram when I have guests comes up, come on and yours was one that got a lot more than usual. So I know people are very interested in learning about the science of reading. Like that's a hot topic right now. Um, and a lot of the people listening probably have kids who are not quite reading age, which I think is even better because they'll have this information for what to do, what not to do going into this. Um, so I guess first, like beyond Crushed Velvet seventh grade dance, what drew you to education specifically and literacy and like this age range, like being in elementary with elementary school kids? I was one of those kids who absolutely grew up playing school since I was three years old and would <laughs> get lesson plan books and name tags for Christmas and that was just love it. It was always what I was gonna do. I feel like um I have professors in my family. One of my grandmothers was an elementary school teacher. It feels destined that this is the path that I would end up taking. Yeah. Um, and then as I, you know, started going through school and even middle school and years in my heyday, it was always whatever my favorite subject was at the time, I wanted to be that teacher. I wanted to be a social studies teacher. I wanted to be a band director. Um, <laughs> and then when I 
So I went to, after I graduated college, I went to grad school and got my master's of science Mm -hmm. in elementary education and um, started teaching second grade in the south side of Chicago and was really struck. It was a very underprivileged school. It was Mm -hmm. um, a charter school in a terrible neighborhood. And I really saw how literacy to me, it it truly is like an equity issue. It is that learning to read and providing kids with those skills and those abilities means that they can be set up for success for the rest of their lives. Um, There's some pretty intense research out there that kids who don't know how to read by the end of third grade, uh, I think it's like one or it's like one in six of them will drop out of high school. Um, wow. The stats of how many of those end up incarcerated is really high. Like third grade is kind of a watershed moment for kids who um, are learning to read. And so I taught everything, wow. like you said, from I went second grade to fourth grade to first grade to kinder back to fourth grade. Um, but I really love learning about and then supporting teachers in what can they do in their classroom that's really aligned with what we've learned now from the science of reading, like you mentioned. Yeah. There is a science to it. Our brain learns to read a certain way. And so what can we do instructionally to hit all of our kids and teach them how to read? I love it. Um, and that that's so powerful what you said about like the percentage of kids who can't read by the end of third grade and their chances of even just being incarcerated. Like there's such a clear line, right? It'll give it basically like what's happening at that age is, is impacting everything that's going to happen for the rest of their lives. So and how important it is. Um, that's honestly shocking and really sad. So I guess what first are the like mistakes that you often see? And it could be that parents are making in the way they're like helping their kids with reading, or maybe even things you've seen in schools with teachers and administrators that, you've been able to correct and like we could learn from before we even start teaching kids to read? I love that question. I think one of the big ones, especially for little littles before, even before they enter school is a, a rush to have them do what looks like reading. I I call it like performative Mm. reading where they have memorized a certain list of words and you put them in front of a book and it super looks like they're reading because Every page is, I can run, I can dance, I can swing. But what they're really doing is relying on the pictures so much that it becomes a predictable pattern and it's not truly reading. And I think that parents and teachers alike sometimes fall into the trap of wanting their kids to do anything that remotely resembles looking like reading that they don't realize that you really do have to go slow to go fast. One of the biggest things sure. for for little kids um, and all the way up through kinder and even first grade is something called phonemic awareness or phonological awareness, mm-hmm. which is truly mm-hmm. just messing with and manipulating the sounds in words when you're not even looking at printed letters. Mm-hmm. That we, like I tell my teachers that if it's a true sound only activity, then you can do it in the dark. 
because you don't need to do it to have the letters or the words in front of you to do with it. So that's a lot of rhyming stuff. That's a lot mm. of um, like alliteration. I'm thinking mm -hmm. of the word top. Can you think of another word that starts with a t sound? Um, just that kind of that kind of playing with words and modeling for your kids that you're noticing the different sounds and the different um, the different things that you can do with it. Moving up into kindergarten and first grade, there's all kinds of like games that you can do that really strengthen. It's literally a like pathway in your brain that connects that 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 has to master the sound, and it is a separate pathway than the pathway and the processor that connects it to writing. And so we have to strengthen that sound part before we can even have a hope of connecting it to writing. Um, right. So I think looking, thinking about that, how can I just show my kid that I'm paying attention to sounds and words and calling that out? And, you know, you can play a game that's, that's uh, something like, okay, say the word cat. And then the kid says cats. And then you say, okay, now, thank you, Brittany. And then you say, okay, now say cat without the. Ah. So what's cat without? Yeah, exactly. But think about what your brain has to be able to do. I have to be able to mm -hmm. separate that sound and take it off and remember what the other two were to keep it together. And then when they're getting good at that, then you can say, okay, now I want you to, here's cat. I want you to take off the and put in a b. What word is that now? Ah, bat. Exactly. And so now you're strengthening Yay. and you're getting them paying attention to all these different sounds. And then once they have once they have gotten used to these sounds and then you start putting them in front of letters and you start telling them that letters represent different sounds, it's going to be so much easier to truly read and not just memorize and like regurgitate back to you. Okay, this is so interesting because I'm actually doing this with Teddy right now. So I'm curious if what they're doing is good or bad. But he has these things called ball words, which okay. he gets. And maybe this maybe this is universal. Maybe this, his teacher is the only one in the world who does it. I have no idea. My first kid in, who's in school. But he loves it. It's his favorite thing. He has other homework he never wants to do. He only wants to do ball words. And it's like they get six that they have to you know, present back to the teacher and have said them properly. And then they get a new set of ball words and they're like colors. So he like wants to get to the teal, which is like the best one. He's very close, but he does that. So he'll be like, you know, I'll show it to him. And he's like, oh. M, M, but like, and then I'm like, say it faster. And then he's like him, him. And like, he gets it, but yeah. he was yesterday, he was having trouble with his and he kept going, what's the one that's oh, is. And I was like, like say it like is huh, is and he's like trying to figure it out and then I gave him a lecture on and then he just kept going his 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 on the way to school to make sure he would like get the ball word <laughs> and then I gave him a lecture on I was like buddy but don't just try to memorize the words so that you can regurgitate the one that has the h on it like you have to do what you just did and break it down and I the example I gave him is how I never learned to read music even though as you know I'm quite musical and was in choir and everything I didn't make foresters because Mr. Haskett was like, you're not reading, like my voice was good, I had solos, so I was just like, I don't need to. I could hear a song one time and memorize. With Taylor Swift, I can hear all the 1989 vault songs I had memorized in like a day. Yes. So I would just hear it and I would just sing it and I'd be fine. But then when I got the test, he had sheet music that I'd never seen before and I was caught. 
And I was like, Teddy, that's what could happen to you. Like you could get, they could get a trick and like put another letter in. And if all you've been doing is repeating his, his, his in your head, you're not going to be able to figure out if it's whiz or I don't know, something else, right? Is that, like, is that, does that make sense? That whole train of thought? Yeah, no, No, I totally follow you. I think (laughs) that completely makes sense. And I think that that memorizing part gets so tricky um, I think ball words or whatever you want to call them are fine. But I think sometimes the trap that we fall into is, okay, so I'm going to take a step back for just a second. When we think about language, humans are at this point, it is evolutionarily like we have caught up to evolve to speak and communicate in speech. Mm-hmm. That's why we don't really, for most neurotypical children, we don't have to teach them to speak. They just learn to do it. But language is still so new historically that the idea of representing Mm. those sounds in writing, our brains have not caught up in a Mm. biological evolutionary kind of standpoint. And that's why it requires direct, explicit instruction on on all of these different things. That is fascinating. Because we have to like catch up to how new in the grand scheme yeah. of things, writing and reading then is for humanity. So when wow. we think about that, we also think about there's all kinds of different languages, right? And English has a kind of notorious reputation of being a very tricky language of being a really hard to, to hard to learn language. Right. But truly most words are completely decodable, meaning that if I know what the letter is, then I should, if I know that letter sound correspondence, then I can read it. So for a word like his or him, the H, the I, the M, those are all making their normal sound. I don't need to spend my brain, my brain energy memorizing that if I can come across that and just sound it out and make those connections and read it right. compared to something that's a little trickier, like of OF, that is a weird one. That's one that needs right. a little bit more memorizing because the F makes the VUVA sound. Right. But when you think about English, it has this reputation, Taylor Swift reference, but truly <laughs> when you take into account all of the patterns and all of those letter sound matches and then you layer on some of the intricacies that come with like the letter of origin, like, or the language of origin. So if a word comes from French, it's going to be a little weird. If a word comes from Italian, it might have some different sounds, but truly there's only 4% of words in English that are truly irregular and need to be memorized. Wow. Which does sound like a lot lower than I would think. Yeah. Which means that that, as we don't want to spend our time with our kids memorizing all of these, because that's literally not how our brain stores words. There is a particular section of our brain in the back that has evolved to, it is only used to recognize words. So when your eyes see something, if it is a face, it doesn't go there. If it is a picture, it doesn't go there, but it recognizes that these weird squiggles and dots and lines are letters and it sends it there. And that part of the brain does not store images or does not store words as images. 
Mm. which makes sense because if I put a word in front of you, you are a skilled reader. It doesn't matter what font Mm. it's in, you can read it. It doesn't matter Mm. if it's all uppercase and lowercase, you can read it. But if if our brain really stored words as images, I would need to re- memorize it if it's all in uppercase if it's all in lowercase if it's if it's italics any of those things but that because that's not how our brain works we want to spend our energy on those sounds and then it's it's truly like an hourglass you start with big chunks of sounds moving to littler chunks of sounds and then you start putting it to print then you start saying okay we've been working with that ass sound and here's the letter that represents that in writing and once that happens, that's called one-to-one correspondence. That's this letter-sound correspondence. And yeah. that's when you start to read. That is so cool. And it so takes cool. this whole, like, it's the, the whole upside-down part or the, you know, the top part of the hourglass yeah. where we're working with sounds until we get to that funnel that is the letter-sound matchup, the letter-sound correspondence. And then we start working with small chunks of writing until they get bigger into words that are more than one syllable and words that have prefixes and suffixes and all of that. That's fascinating. All of that ramble to say that when, to go back to your question about, you know, like what, what mistakes do I see and what do I think parents can really do? I think don't worry about whether your kids are truly reading, especially if they're preschool age, play with the sounds and make reading be a time where you get to share stories with them and Mm -hmm. it is time in your lap and it is positive time. They're not going to, you do not need to hold the weight on your shoulders of you being the one to teach them to read, but you can be the one who helps to share with them that reading is a way to learn information. Writing is a way to communicate information. And Mm -hmm. here's these ways that we can share stories and learn information together. I love that. And when you were talking about the way our brains process like words and sounds and letters and all of that, it was making me think, I know you had mentioned earlier when we chatted that the whole, the science of reading, like there's been a big shift in the last five years in how mm-hmm. literacy is taught. So has that impacted, like, is that what you were saying about the brain? Is that like new information we have now? Or like what, what has changed for the better since we were kids and we were learning how to read? So It's not really new research. It's research from, you know, like when you and I were kids, Brittany, it's Mm -hmm. research from from a couple decades ago. But for whatever reason, it's just starting to kind of take hold in um, really concrete ways in classrooms and in school districts and Mm -hmm. in curriculum writing. Um, I'm in the state of Texas right now. And there was a law passed a couple of years ago that every kindergarten through third grade teacher in the entire state had to go through a year long reading academy mm-hmm. where they learned the science of reading because cool. it likely was not taught in undergrad or graduate school. I know that Illinois recently passed a couple other laws about um, about a kind of checklist um, that there that any school district's curriculum for reading has to meet all of these criteria to make sure that everything is really aligned to this science of reading. Um, I think the big pieces for littles is this really explicit phonics instruction. Mm -hmm. Um, 
not memorizing, not these predictable books. There's a time and place for them, but they're not going to teach you how to read if if all I'm doing is memorizing that every page says I can, and then I'm looking at the picture to see what the kid is doing. That's not ah. reading. That's guessing. And just context clues and all that. Right. So that's one big shift for primary and for younger kids. And then in the upper grades, and when I say upper grades, I mean kind of like second, third, fourth, fifth. Um, one of the big things that we're learning is that, or that, you know, science and research is showing us is that reading comprehension is not a, is not something that you can teach independently. Hmm. It is the result. And if you imagine like a multiplication fact, reading comprehension is the product of two things. One is your word recognition. Can you literally read the words on the page? Right. But then the other one is your language comprehension. Do you understand right. background knowledge about the thing that you're reading? Do sure. you understand vocabulary? Do you understand sentence structure? Do you understand um, figurative language and idioms and that kind of stuff? And so moving right. away from let me stop and I'm going to teach a week on how to determine the main idea of something, which like I don't even know how you do effectively because it's going to depend on what you're reading. But moving away from that to hey, we're going to spend a week and every day we're going to read a short article about a different ocean animal. And by the end, now we're living in this little unit where we're building our knowledge so that the next time I read something about that, I have something that that what I'm reading now can Velcro onto and can stick to. Yeah. We have all had the experience of being able to read something and having no idea what it means. Like if totally. I pull out one of my husband's old calculus textbooks or something, I, I was can read say, all like of those math words. Textbook. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I God can't do anything with it. So that's my word recognition side being solid, but not my language comprehension side. Right. And then we also see kids a lot who can maybe do everything and you are reading it to them and they can follow along everything, but then you put a text in front of them and they can't read the words. Right. So they're they can't comprehend it that way. So we're making some shifts in our instruction to be more knowledge building in mm -hmm. that way. I remember the last year that I was in the classroom uh, a couple of years ago before I took this position. Um, I sat down with a small group of struggling fourth grade kids and we were going to read a text about marathon. And it was like what marathon runners do to prepare, you know, their training mm -hmm. and their nutrition and their sleep and everything. And it became clear to me within 40 seconds that not a single one of them knew what a marathon was. I was going to say, I bet they just didn't know what a marathon was. And then it's exactly. like, okay, so. so I canceled that lesson and I pulled up a video of the Chicago marathon and we watched that for a couple minutes. I told them, you guys, you know how when you have to run laps around the gym in PE, now imagine having to do that for 26 miles. And yeah. of course, they're all losing their minds, but trying to like <laughs> build that background knowledge. So then the next day, we could pull out that same text. And now they had something to go off of. Yeah. And then the next time that they read about a marathon, they're going to have a little, a little piece in, stuck in their brain that they remember. 
And we, we talk about knowledge as Velcro, like knowledge needs something to stick to. And then it just keeps accumulating and accumulating because it just keeps sticking. What's so interesting about that is I feel like, I mean, as a mom, my takeaway for my, for all of my kids, but especially the younger two is that just talking to them and teaching them things and telling them stories is what helps. I was thinking of something even more basic, like, look out, the bear is chasing us. Like, you need to have the context, like when someone says, look out, they're scared and a bear is big. And so you're like, right. Cause when, if I say that, if I say to you, look out, the bear is chasing us. Like you understand that person's afraid that the bear is going to eat them or attack them. Or if you have to have mm-hmm. all of that context to like continue on to the next sentence, be like, okay, the person was scared. What's going to happen next? Right. Yeah. Not just a bunch of words. Yes. There's, there's a cognitive scientist that I love named Daniel Willingham, who uses the example of, um, you know, Katie spilled coffee on Brittany, so she jumped up. How much do you actually have to understand to understand that sentence? You have to understand what a what a spill is. You have to understand what coffee is. Is Brittany jumping up because she's mad that Katie spilled it and she wants more? Or is she jumping up because it's hot? Is she jumping up because it's a mess? Who's the she in that sentence? I said Katie and Brittany, but then who's the she? Like, all of those kinds of things, you take this seemingly very simple sentence, but you think about a kid who doesn't have those experiences or who has never Mm -hmm. heard the word coffee before. And if that is one sentence in the scheme of a bigger paragraph or one page of a story, like you're going to start losing the thread real quick. So I think in terms of what parents can do to support that, I think one of the things is just exactly what you said. Talk to them all the time. Give them experiences as much as you can, you know, mm-hmm. if they're going to read. And and it, this is also where the, the equity piece comes into place. I was going to say, me yep. is like, and, and, you know, my first couple schools in incredibly, incredibly impoverished neighborhoods in Chicago, we took a field trip to the field museum and they all saw Lake Michigan for the first time. They lived 10 minutes away, Holy they had shit. never seen the lake and they thought that it was the ocean and they asked if sharks were living in there. Oh, so it is like that like breaks a lot my heart. of that is I know a like lot of that on is the on water. schools, right? Yeah, a lot of yeah. that is on schools and teachers to provide as much as they can. But in terms of parents who have the resources and the ability and even if it's go to the grocery store and have them walk up and down and find boxes of different colors. And then you talk to them about whatever ingredients those are so that they start to learn this is sugar or this is a dragon fruit or this is skim milk. And you use that word skim. So just turning and not the parents always have to be on and turn everything into a like learning moment with a capital L, (laughs) but looking for just doing it is, is the moment. I mean, what's so interesting is like, I will sometimes get clients with babies ask me, and I'm certainly no expert on this stuff, but they'll be like, you know, what is like a good activity just to like stimulate them and do things. And I tell them what my pediatrician told me with Teddy, just take them somewhere. Like mm-hmm. you don't need to be like showing them your three month old flashcards for hours mm-hmm. a day, literally put them in the carrier and take them to the grocery store, expose them to the world. Um, and I was thinking when you were saying that too, when you were talking about the kids in Chicago, which is genuinely heartbreaking and not surprising. Um, did you ever read that book? Eleanor Oliphant is okay or not. Okay? It's Eleanor Oliphant oh, something. I know which one you're talking about, but I didn't read it. So you sh- it's fascinating, but there's a, without giving too much away, like she had a, obviously a very bad childhood and like a, a mother who was terrible and 
like very, very little exposure to any social norms. And that's like coming out as an adult. But it's literally what mm. you were talking about. Like she doesn't have the building blocks that like if you're invited to a party, you have to say yes or no. And like, mm. what is an appropriate response to that question? And like, mm -hmm. if you go to a store, like how do you interact with the person at the, like she literally did, had zero like social and like contextual ways of like existing and therefore mm -hmm. was like struggling to connect with people. And it was, it's a heartbreaking book, but also very funny and good. Um, but it's kind of what you're saying, right? And that's like, obviously on a bigger scale, but it's the same thing if you don't have any context it's yeah. hard to like read a book. Yeah, right? like, exactly. Yeah. And it and you learning how to read the words goes some extent. But again, you think back to that like multiplication equation. If my ability to read all the words is at a one, but if my if I have no background knowledge about the thing that I'm reading about, well, one times zero is zero, and my reading comprehension is going to be zero. That is like so interesting and fascinating. I feel like we could talk about that. Um... <laughs> All I know. Day. But the um, one other thing I know, I know we need to move on. But the one other thing for parents to me oh, no, is, you keep going. is, <laughs> is mm -hmm. vocabulary, though, sure. is I think about and some of the advice that I give to teachers is similar to the advice that I give to my friends that are that are parents in terms of think about the things that you say all the time. And how can you bump up the level of vocabulary that you mm -hmm. use in those sentences? So for teachers, I say, like, instead of saying, come to the carpet or come sit on the carpet five million times a day to your kindergartners, what if you tell them to assemble on the carpet? Mm. What if you tell them to gather on the carpet? When Cora was little, my daughter, she's in second grade now, but when she was little, um, we used, we talked about the word embrace because it was in Sleeping Beauty. Mm -hmm. And then, but instead of having it live just in reading that book, it turned into like, oh my gosh, can I give you one more embrace before you go to school? And just sprinkling it into those yeah. real world conversations. Or if you have a kid who is, you know, trying to make himself a snack with peanut butter, instead of saying, do you need help? Do you need assistance? Can I aid mm. you? Like, it, it doesn't mean like you said earlier, and I'm so glad you said it. It doesn't mean flashcards. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. you Google, like, what are the hundred words that every <laughs> kid must know? Because those lists don't exist. And if they do, they're not true. I was going to say, but it's just, probably a weird list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you just think about what are those things that you say all the time? And how can you just bump up the language a little bit? Because then Cora, after she learned how to read, the first time that she came across the word embrace, she had something in her head yes. where she's sounding out those words and she knows all those sounds now, but she's like, oh, that does sound like a word that I know. And it has a meaning and the meaning kind of fits with the story. So it's, I mean, it's exactly good. what Teddy's doing now, but like at her, at her age and level embraces yes. a word, right. But if he's, but it, like when I'm saying to Teddy, if he's saying is and trying to figure it out, he hears the word his all the time. So he figures yeah. it out, right? But he's never heard the word or if he had never heard the word embrace. Yeah. And if he sounded you're gonna, it out, then he's like, yep. embrace. And he has no idea what, what it is. Exactly. Yep. That is so fascinating. And the only like good example I have of that is for whatever reason, I just, whenever my kids, I don't know how to describe it other than antagonizing, they antagonize each other. They will like, one of them will be upset and the other one will be like, like make a fake, like, you know, mimic him or whatever. And I always say, stop antagonizing your brother. And I've been saying that for years. And now Baker, who literacy wise to me seems behind where Teddy was at his age. Like I could be extrapolating things that aren't real, but I, he will literally be like, 
Mama Diani antagonizing me. It's like oh it gosh, sounds so it. funny because it's like he's so little and like you know his vocabulary isn't that big, but that's a word he know he knows what it means and he's that's he's exactly right. she was yes. antagonizing him. Yes, no. and then eventually when that word gets put in front of him in text in fifth grade, sixth grade, whenever he's going to have an anchor for it and he's going to remember that he already has a little bit of meaning because mom used that word all the time. Mm -hmm. And I know what that is. I love that. I feel like I'm learning so much right now. Um, how can, cause this goes back to, so like, okay, we're helping our kids with vocabulary, sprinkling in kind of leveling up our, our language with them, which is a great tip. Um, giving them that context, taking them to experiences, all of that. And then of course the actual like understanding words, but how do we get our kids excited to read? I, feel very guilty about this because I was a huge reader as a kid. Like I went to the library. Like I was such a dork. I loved reading. Not that I shouldn't say it's a dork. That's a bad thing to say. I was awesome, but I just you loved were reading. Very cool. We've already discussed that. So like just deeply cool. Um, and reading is cool, but I know with our phones, like I was thinking, you know, modeling is the best way to teach anything. Right. But my kids never see me read because if mm -hmm. I do read it's on vacation or after they go to bed, Mm -hmm. Or it's like I'm reading something on my phone, right? I'm reading the mm -hmm. Time Taylor Swift art, you know, Person of the Year article. Mm -hmm. They see me on my phone. So mm -hmm. like, that's obviously bad. How do we get our kids excited to read and thinking reading is cool and fun? Reading I think books. that part of it is modeling. Cora and mm -hmm. I have what we call reading parties. And <gasps> love that. Just like 10 minutes a day or 15 minutes every couple of days. And we each get a book or I get my Kindle or I read on my phone and we just get in bed together and read. And then we have like two minutes at the end where we share with each other what what we had read. Um, I think that there's nothing wrong with reading on the phone, but I think that it's one of these things where we have to be really clear and name to our kids that that's what we're doing. Like, yeah, you reading the time Taylor Swift article, I also read it on my phone, mm -hmm. but I tried to make a point when I was done of like, Cora, I just read the most interesting article because Cora, of course, also loves Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. Like I read the most interesting article about Taylor Swift. And even though we didn't sit and read it together, I grabbed my phone and I kind of scrolled through it with her and was like, look at this is the part where it talked about this because kids are Love going that. to they're they're going to be reading on devices and we mm -hmm. don't need to be run and be scared of that mm -hmm. but we do need to name when our devices can also do so many other things when what we're doing is reading and even if it's like mm -hmm. a tweet even if it's a new york times article or a time article right. even if it's like a long text message from a family member. That's all okay. But what our kids need to see is that you are taking a a text of some kind and you are getting information from it. And whether right. that's in a book or whether that's in on a phone or an iPad, we just need to name it for them. I love that. And I mean, in terms of reading like with your kids, do you have like kind of metrics around? Because this was one of the questions. And I mean, I feel like most of the questions were just kind of talking about the things, which is great. Um, but one yeah. of the questions was specifically like, how much do I need to read with my kids? Like, is there a right amount of time? Is 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 it ever too much? Is it like if you don't read to them every day, that's really bad? What do you think? It is. I think that it is too much when the kid, when it stops being fun, I think. The correct amount is how much you as a parent can do 
with your bandwidth and your time and your schedule while also making sure that it is a positive experience for both of you. Toddlers, preschoolers, your their attention spans are going to be really, really short. And that is okay. That is developmentally appropriate. So if all you get with them is four minutes, at, but but those four minutes are really high quality and you're you're cuddled up and you're really talking about the pictures and talking about the words and the sounds, that's going to go way better than and, and go further than trying to hold them and corral them in your lap for 20 minutes. And totally. it's miserable for both of you. Totally. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I think a lot of people put pressure on themselves, you know, especially in our sort of like realm of privilege and people who have the time and resources to read mm-hmm. for an hour if they want. Mm-hmm. I would like, I hope if you're one of those people listening to this, you don't need to read your kids for an hour every night. Like if you want to, and it's fun, great. But if your kid is bored to tears and you're exhausted and need to unload the dishwasher, that's not going to get them into Harvard. I think that's why everyone's doing it. I think maybe. Yeah. So yeah, it's not, that's not the vibe. Well, and I think that that also goes to kind of like what, what are expectations and every state is different and every district and school is going to be a little bit a little bit different, but honestly, it is developmentally completely appropriate if your kids are learning to read in kindergarten. There is yeah. no prerequisite for that kids need to come to kindergarten knowing all of their letters and sounds and reading, you know, even three letter words. That is the goal of kindergarten and first grade. So that also can relieve a little bit of pressure, make it fun, do a lot of those sound games, those phonological Mm -hmm. games, get them paying attention to words that sound cool, get them paying attention to vocabulary words like antagonize. All of those (laughs) things are going to go further than setting a timer and feeling like you have to read for a certain amount of time. I'm really glad you said that because I was of that mind too. And when I talked to friends with older kids, so not literacy experts or education experts, just friends who had kind, competent, well-adjusted children who were older than mine, they all said the things to focus on before kindergarten had nothing to do with academics. And so it was much more important to me, both with like selecting a preschool, but then just like helping him grow as a person that we were working on things like self-control and sharing and understanding other people's body language and following Mm -hmm. directions and asking for help. So he's great there with those things. But he doesn't know how to read it. I mean, he didn't know how to read it all when he started. The other like plus of that too is he's so excited to do it because I never shoved it down his throat. Like he's definitely mm-hmm. taken the reins and like he wants to learn to read and he's excited about it. And I- I'm sure there's like a tipping point at which, I mean, you talked about the third grade. There's obviously a tipping point where it would no longer be good that you had waited. But I do mm-hmm. feel like part of his excitement and how much he enjoys reading has to do with it being kind of like, on his terms and like being a part of his mm-hmm. class versus like me drilling him for right. You know, like, like, I don't know what here's the, the homework every time that. you're home with mom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think the other piece to all the literacy talk is also the writing where, you know, reading and mm-hmm. writing are two sides of that literacy coin. And I think, you know, my daughter's in second grade and because of health reasons for her, when COVID hit in 2020, we pulled her from pre-K and my husband mm-hmm. did his very best to be a full-time worker and also kind of a pre-K teacher, but also oh. mostly like, how do I make sure that she is fed and happy? And there was a lot of Disney plus and that is of all course. completely fine. But right. I think that I, where I see that 
and it's not just her, it's kind of kids in that kinder first, second, even a little bit third grade right now, this year, uh, where I see it manifested is in writing and in handwriting. Because I think mm. that parents hear the message all of it all the time of reach your kids, reach your kids, reach your kids. But I don't like, and again, I'm not blaming anybody. It's my own kid was, is part of this, but like, how do I help my kid write? How do I, what are the things that I need to do to kind of teach writing to my kid at home? Yeah. And I think that the answer there is a ton of talking. It's a ton of oral language and let's talk about our ideas and let's, here's a piece of paper and kids, you write and draw and scribble and all of those things. There are phases of writing that cannot be skipped that developmentally every kid goes through and they are going to spend time in each of those phases and that's okay. But they're learning. It's their brain figuring out that the marks that they put on paper communicate meaning. I think it's a lot of pretend mm -hmm. play. Like here's a um, you know, we're playing in the pretend kitchen. Oh my gosh. Can you write me a menu? Can you make me mm, my receipt? Yeah. Can you, um, write down my name because I have a reservation at your salon. Cause you're going to do my hair tonight. Like just those kinds of things really embedded in the play. And then I think it's a lot of fine motor experiences and fine motor tasks. When you think about handwriting and part of what makes writing so hard for kids is not only do they have all these processors firing in their brains. So they're trying to think of the letters. They're trying to think of the sounds that they want to say. They're trying to hold all of that in their memory to write the one word. They're also trying to probably keep that one word in the context of a sentence and remember all of that then their brain has to send signals to their arm, to their muscles, and their hand has to remember how to go and make the right marks to represent so the letter that they want to. It's <laughs> impossible. Like how anyone does yeah. it is a miracle. But I think that all those kind of fun games and, you know, they're all over Instagram and everything, but like just have them play with tweezers, have them have poor. I used to have a big bucket of like, I ordered a bulk thing of pom-pom balls and just had one clear like shoebox of pom-pom balls and a thing of tweezers and a thing of tongs and Cora as a toddler, just like try to take them out, just play with them however yeah. you want. But that's getting that grip. That's getting the finger strength. That's getting the arm stamina that will eventually be required to do writing like that. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think, and that stuff, like you said, it's not, if you think about it for a couple of minutes and just like build that into your kid's play space, it's not really that hard. Like none of the things you're suggesting are difficult. Focus short periods of reading to your kids, improving, like you, like leveling up your vocabulary so they learn and have more context, giving them experiences and giving them opportunity to like build their fine motor skills, right? And just using like a spoon or like mm -hmm. chopsticks. We'll occasionally do chopsticks for that purpose just because it's like the kids think it's fun, but it's like forcing yeah. them to like you know, have that manipulation and, and try to figure it out and the, yes. the, you know, hand-eye coordination, all that stuff. Yeah. One of the absolute best things that you can do for preschoolers is have them try to write on a vertical surface. So much of our writing is like mm. horizontal. Take a piece of paper mm. and tape it to something that you're not going to be too mad if, if the pencil goes off the paper, <laughs> but just get them used and because that uses muscles in a different way and that makes their brain 
move, like fire in a different way where they're used to coloring this way. Now, how can I do it and think about the, my, my spatial reasoning and my muscles and all the processors, but vertically now. That is so cool. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I'm learning so much. This is the best part about this job is I, I get to learn all the <laughs> things too. Um, okay. Any last parting thoughts for parents around literacy, reading, and writing that they should know? I think the most important parting thought is that kids can learn to read and don't, if they are not exactly where you thought they were or how an older kid or a cousin or, you know, a friend where their kid is, that doesn't mean that there's something wrong. And just rely on, rely on schools and teachers and think of, think of educators as your partnership with Mm -hmm. everyone's working on the team for your kid that you reach out to them with your concerns and to find out what to do at home. But also I think that parents need to take a little bit of the pressure off of themselves for Mm -hmm setting their kid up for success in terms of literacy. Like there's all kinds of things that you can do, but also you are ultimately the parent and let the educators be the experts in that realm and work together with your teacher um, and be on the team for your kid together. Right. And I think, and and also don't be afraid to get help too. Like, my daughter is in speech therapy and mm-hmm. that, you know, there's occupational therapists that can, that can support with the motor skills, there's speech therapists, there's all kinds of other supports for students who are struggling to learn how to read and, or who yeah. are not performing, but don't let that stigma scare you away from getting your kid the help that they need. Oh, totally. You know what? And when I was telling my mom, she was obviously so excited that you were coming on the podcast. Oh, I was so telling excited. her about it. <laughs> Shout out to Susan. She's definitely going to be listening. Um, but she told me that in, I don't even remember this. She told me that in second grade, I had to do like a, a something with like some sort of assistance with reading. I don't know what they called it. Yeah. And I was like, really? Because like, I have a great vocabulary. I love to read. Like, that's not of all the things now. Like, if you look at my SAT score, it was very clear where I excelled and where I struggled. It was like disturbing. The difference was like disturbing, you know, the, the variance, but it was shocking, but it was like, okay, well, great. So whatever was going on with me, like they fixed it and I probably yeah. needed whatever that support was. Yeah. Um, and therefore I, in my mind, I've always been a kid who loved reading and had a, you know, a thirst for knowledge. And so, yeah, take that support when you're yeah. offered it always. Yeah. Well, and I think that that goes back to, your point of, or your earlier question of how can we get kids to learn to love reading? The answer is by teaching them to read because you're not going <laughs> to love something that you can't do. And so, yeah, so true. So you take the baby steps as a parent, you let schools and teachers and that whole support team support you and your family and your kid. And that is ultimately how they how kids are going to learn to love reading is because they're going to be good at it and they're going to see what what kind of information and stories they can get from all the texts that they will experience in their lives. I love it. Thank you so much, Katie. This has been super informative and fun. And yes, I'm, I'm empowered you. to go. Uh, I, my, my homework, and I hope everyone else takes it, is to go home tonight and 
sprinkle in some high level vocabulary words as you are hanging out with your kids before bed. Yes. I love I'm going to tell someone they're vivacious tonight. Something yes. like that. I got to, I got to think of something good. Um, yes. Right, thanks Katie. Yes. Thank you. Bye. Loving the snooze button. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode and please leave a review. I will read it and internalize it. So make sure it's very glowing. If you're interested in working with me or learning more about my courses, head to britneysheehan.com or follow me on Instagram at britneysheehansleep.